0: So, uh, Rob, firstly, thank you very much indeed for joining us on LockPod. It's an absolute honor to have you on here um, because I'm a huge fan of your TikTok channel. um, And if anybody hasn't checked out Rob's TikTok, you really should because it's brilliant. Um, But before we get into your inspiring story, for anybody that doesn't know who you are, would you like to introduce yourself, please?
1: Yes, absolutely. So you got the first part and that's that my name is Robert (laughs) Taylor, And uh, I'm over here in California, across the pond in the United States and um, just kind of, I graduated from college a couple of years ago and, um, it was while I was in college, now that I'm playing the sport of rugby, which obviously overseas and in, in Europe and, um, you know, New Zealand, Australia, all these other countries is, is so commonplace for folks to go out and play rugby, but in America, it's so niche. Um, but I was, you know, I was having the time of my life. I was living out my dream and then a very, uh, catastrophic thing happened to me, uh, while I was competing. Um, that we're obviously going to do a deep dive on today. Um, but it's become the purpose of my life to share this story and share the tools that have helped me to overcome this challenge. And that's what I'm excited to do here today.
0: Incredible. So I guess the next question is tell me what happened in 2017.
1: Yes. Yeah, so the day was May 6, 2017. And it was the day of the Collegiate Rugby National Championship in America. I'm competing for the Cal men's rugby team, um, which just to give you some context of the success of Cal men's rugby team, you know, like I said, obviously rugby is a niche sport in America. Um, but at Cal, there was a really strong culture behind it. It was the first varsity sport at Cal. And by the way, Cal is kind of just over on the coast in Berkeley, right next to San Francisco, Oakland, those big major cities there in the Bay Area of California. And, um, I think the program was started in 1882, if I'm not mistaken, which I know by English standards isn't super old, but for us, it's a big deal. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so it's a, uh, you know, it's a history program, a lot of success. Uh, on that day, we were fighting for our 31st national championship and that's with the tournament only being around for about 45 years. Um, so we were the most dominant sports program at any level, any gender, um, competing in America. And by my sophomore year, I had earned my starting spot, playing number five, the lock. Um, you know, I'm playing like a pretty gritty game. Um, I started playing rugby when I was 16, which of course, for for international standards, is very late to start playing rugby. Um, but for America, I kind of had a little bit of an edge. I was sort of I sort of started um, when other people start sort of sort of in high school, early on in high school, and. I fell in love with this sport. I, so much of my purpose was around being a rugby player. So much of my worth, my accomplishments were around being a good rugby player. I wanted to be an All-American and maybe one day represent the United States or play internationally. You know, those were my dreams. And while I certainly wasn't there yet, I was on the path and I was committed. It was it was my goals, my aspirations. And it was on this day, very early on, on May 6th. 2017 going back to this game um you know we kick the ball off couple of tackles they commit a penalty and we kick it into touch so we're about seven meters out at this point um going for our line out and it's an obvious mauling situation for us we were lethal in the mall that year and we're playing this other team Arkansas State who hasn't been to the national stage as much as we have we had done a lot of film study on them. We knew we were a formidable team. And if we knew that if we simply played our game, this was going to be an easy win. And I'm sure they knew that they had to give everything they had and be in the outlier to be able to take us down. And, um, but I think we all knew that this thing was getting them in to the tri zone. So I'm the front lifter. You know, I pin my lift. Um, the jumper gets the ball. We bring him down. I make my bind. And you know, I get I get some contact from the side immediately. You know, which obviously you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to be coming absolutely, the front. yep, yeah. Player immediately comes in from the side, um, and we start rolling forward. Now, I now this player as he makes his bind, his left arm because he came in from my left. If you can kind of envision this, so his, his head is kind of below, like kind of in, into my chest area, coming from the left, and with his left arm, he binds me around my neck. And it's pinning my chin to my chest. Now, it was actually that exact year that World Rugby uh, put the guidelines together that you can't even touch the head or neck without I the yeah. yellow card. Yeah, it was that year. Um, so there was, you know, there was a lot of referees, you know, blowing the whistle, not playing any advantage and, and throwing out yellow cards. And if there was any sort of intent or maliciousness or a bad outcome, automatic red. Um, but the refs aren't calling anything. And this player, so he has his left arm around my neck. He puts his right arm to hook my leg. Another penalty, kind of a cheeky one. Happens a lot, but um, not something you're supposed to do. Two more players enter in from the side. We're still rolling forward at this point. Yep. yep. You know, we're, <laughs> we're beating them, and I'm and I'm continuing to push too. Um, this is my job. This is the national championship. Of course. I want to score early. This is about a minute thirty into the game. So. Another player comes in very low on me. He loses his footing and chops me down by my legs. So the mall starts collapse, collapsing. And this player who initially came in from the side, the first one with that bind around my neck, yep, he he really starts he starts bringing it down. You can see the pictures and the video footage where I mean his, his you can see the muscles in his arms are straining. He's coming down with this thing. So I just start falling, thinking this is another routine collapsing of a mall. It happens in almost 50% of all malls. It's quite routine. Um, I'm trying to get good head position, but I can't. And I remember I just kind of closed my eyes for impact and I, I gripped my teeth and then I just felt this god awful crunch in my neck. And then it was just like poof. I mean, I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't move anything. It's like one minute I was living out my dream, playing in the national championship. I closed my eyes, I opened them, and I was in my worst nightmare. And there was no escaping. And my thoughts started to run wild. I immediately knew that I had broken my neck.
0: Did you really? I, Straight away, you knew. You you knew from the sound and how you felt. That was it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, growing up, playing a lot of contact sports, I played American football and, and rugby. And I had broken plenty of bones you know, sure, before sure. this. Um, so I know what that sensation was like when you when you break a bone in competition, um, and then I'm just like the whole system being shut down, um, really below my collarbone. At that moment, my face was was in the turf, my you know my the front part of my torso in the turf, and I'm, I'm screaming. Um, and I could shrug my shoulders, but nothing else. I mean, I'm I'm doing everything I can to like wiggle my toes, move my legs, move my arms, squeeze my hands. I'm getting nothing.
0: Any pain or is it just like, could you feel, I suppose you couldn't feel any pain though. So it must have been really odd.
1: It was surreal. I like, I, I liken it to being reborn. I mean, it was, sure. it was such a dramatic shift of my life. I, sometimes I tell people, it might sound funny, it's hard, hard to understand, but it's like closing my eyes right now, opening them and I'm in China. Like I'm right. in a completely different life, right. a completely different place. You know, in this situation, it was something a little more natural. Um, but still, I, this body that I had had my whole life, this body that had served me to help me fulfill my goals and my aspirations, it was completely, utterly broken. And I had seen those stories on my phone or, you know, on TV before where you hear the testimony where some, this happened to somebody and they kind of explained that sensation. Oh, there was pins and needles everywhere. I couldn't feel anything. I, I tried to move my body. I couldn't, and terror rushed over me. And it was, it was the same exact thing wow. for me. I remember even when they turned my body from my chest being on the ground to putting putting my back on the stretcher, I couldn't even feel them turning my body. Like they would grab my leg and move it. It's like they were moving somebody else's leg. There was no connection. So it weird. Whatsoever. Completely disconnected. I'm a man of faith, and I am reaching out to God. I mean, I'm, I'm pouring out my heart and soul in prayer, my family coming up, coming up behind me. And, um, nobody could say, you know, kind of the, the cliche lines, like, oh, everything's going to be okay. Um, they knew okay. it was serious. Yeah. This yeah. wasn't okay. This, this wasn't going to be okay. This yeah. wasn't something where I would go to the hospital, you know, and that it was a stinger system would wake up. It wasn't good, but I was holding out hope for that. Um, because when I would ask the, the training staff and, paramedics who helped me get to the hospital. Um, you know, they'd kind of give me the rundown of what we're going to do when we go to the hospital, the medical imaging and whatnot, the tests. And they're like, do you have any questions? I'm like, am I going to walk again? And they just look away and say, I don't know. Gosh. So I eventually make it to the hospital. We do a whole series of medical imaging, um, you know, x-rays, CT scans, MRIs, even like tactile stuff, rubber, squeeze my hand, um, you know, wiggle your toes, stuff like that. And after all that, the doctor comes back and got a bad look on his face and very flat out. He just said, you will never walk again. You will never move your hands. You'll be lucky if you can pick up a piece of pizza and bring it to your face. That's what you need to be focused on. Like, don't, don't focus on going back and playing rugby. Don't be focused on like getting out and walking right now. Like you need to be focused on hopefully being able to like feed yourself. Um, I, no, mean, in I, mean,
0: in your br- I mean, in your mind, Rob, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you've talked about how you felt physically at that time, but yeah. psychologically and mentally, what was going through your mind?
1: I was doing everything I could to disp- suppress that terror and stay very focused. So for the Cal Rugby team, we have this glossary of terms that we use to define um, common things that you might have multiple definitions for. And one of those, one of those words was mental toughness which we described as the ability to focus on the next most important thing. So in the sense of rugby, that's like when, you know, a ball comes your way, you knock it on, other team gets it. And you're just kind of like, you're lost in that moment. You're frustrated, you're angry. And if you stay focused on that moment, another player comes up, you miss a tackle, you drop another ball, then you're, you're being mentally weak. You need to be able to push those, push those things down. It's done. It's happened. We'll study and film tomorrow. But right now, I need to focus on the next most important thing, which is, you know, pushing in this drum or, or whatever it is. That's in the rugby sense and in the life sense for me in dealing with this injury, I couldn't let my thoughts start to run wild of, holy crap, I'm 20 years old with my whole life ahead of me. I might spend it not being able to move anything ever again. That's no going to school. That's not having a family, having a career. It seems very bleak yeah, for me. It's catastrophic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely life changing. Um, and now this doctor's telling me that it's not going to get any better. Um, and uh, but I had to like I had to suppress that because after that diagnosis, he recommended surgery to me. Spinal fusion surgery. The incision was done right there on my neck. Um, a lot of important real estate right here. You absolutely, you've got
0: main arteries going down there.
1: Right. And, um, and also just the nervous system, the spinal cord, so fragile. But I we mean, were dealing with like fractions of millimeters here to be able to successfully complete these surgeries. And he recommends a spinal fusion to me. He says that, you know, it's, it's like casting a broken bone um, and it will allow for regeneration of this region and also stopping it from getting worse. But it's a potentially life-threatening surgery because of all those reasons I listed. Um, and I had thirty minutes to make the decision, if I wanted to go into the surgery. Thirty
0: minutes—that's um, all. Yeah,
1: thir- that's it. Yeah. yeah. Research research shows that if you have your sur- your surgery within the first eight hours of your injury, right, it dramatically increases your chances of recovery. Okay, um, and that was that was the amount of time I had to you know make the decision, get the operating room prepped and ready to go, and then undergo what is probably I would assume like four to six hours surgery. Um so the first thing I did was call my religious advisor because I wanted prayer and actually, I actually wanted a priest to come out to give me the sacrament of anointing the sick. That way if I died I went to heaven. Sure. sure. This is how serious it was. And he said he would do that. Um before he hung up the phone he gave me this piece of advice and it's really carried me and it gave me gave me power in such a powerless situation. And he said, Robert, throughout this journey there's gonna be a lot of things that you just can't control. But the one thing you have control over is your mindset. So your positivity, your ambition, your willingness to wake up every day and fight this, that's up to you. And this injury can't take that away from you. And you know, I couldn't control my body. I couldn't control what these doctors told me. I I couldn't control any of that. But I could control the decision to keep moving forward and the decision to, to be positive. And when I say being positive... I don't mean like controlling our mood, controlling whether we're happy or sad. because I don't think we have control over that all the time. Maybe we can influence it, but we can't just flip a switch and we got to smile on our face or frown. But regardless of how we're feeling or regardless of what we're going through, we can keep moving forward. And that gave me so much, so much peace. um, And it made me feel so empowered that I would go into the surgery without fear. You know, knowing that, knowing that I made the decision that's going to give me the best outcome with the information that I have, and you know, from there, I mean, we went into the surgery, but then I had to battle of pneumonia when I couldn't cough, yep. I couldn't swallow anything, so they put a tube up my nose and down to my stomach. That's what fed me for a month. I lost sixty pounds in that first month of my injury. Mm-mm. Death was sitting with me in that room, waiting for me to quit. And throughout all those moments, my body might have been broken. But my mind was not, and my spirit was not, and I was giving everything that I had to, to beat this, with the goal that I set that day of one day walking again, or at least giving it all that I have. So Absolutely. That if one day I don't walk again, I'll look back and I'll have no regrets.
0: And how are your family at this point? I mean, your family and friends must have just been beside themselves with worry, because it sounds like I mean you're you're a young man, you know you're very focused, but it sounds like you're, you know, thankfully you've got a very strong mind and good sports psychology and you've got religion and you've obviously got a great, uh, you know, support network around you. But how on earth are your family feeling? Now, now you can go back and have that conversation with them at the time. What yeah. was it like for them?
1: It was probably the hardest thing for me to deal with was, uh, was interacting with my family. Um, and easily the saddest moment I've endured throughout this entire injury was that first moment that I saw my parents when when I was on the field and they came over behind me my dad was to my right side and he grabbed my hand and I couldn't feel him grabbing my hand and my mom behind me um and all I could do was just say I, I love you more than anything in the world I love you more than anything in the world um you know through my tears and everything I always tried to be strong for them you know I always tried to make them proud and in that moment I was weak I was broken And there was nothing else I could do than just let them know I loved them. And my brother actually wasn't that bad game. He was taking a SAT. It's like an American standardized test for getting into college. And um, he, uh, I mean, we just had to tell him the news over the phone, and that he needed to get to this hospital immediately before I went to that surgery, so I could potentially say goodbye. And uh, and here here's another person who, you know, he was my little brother, and. I always tried to make him proud. I wanted to be a good role model for him. I wanted to be like strong for him. And I couldn't be strong in this moment. And I told my mom before he, he came in the room, I'm like, you have to tell him he is not allowed to be sad. Like, he's not allowed to cry. And, you know, maybe that sounds so selfish of me, but I just I couldn't handle any more negativity. Um, it would have completely shattered me. So, you know, while, while I was in tears and while I was muttering words uh, for him, I mean, he, he might have dabbed a tear or two but he was maybe one of the strongest people on that day because, um, before that surgery, I also, you know, I called my religious advisor, but then after that I FaceTimed my closest friends and I had him hold the phone right in front of me. And I, you know, I told him what happened, the prognosis, the surgery, and, and that I loved them too. Um, and throughout all of it, you know, I mean, he, he just stood there strong. He held that phone. He typed out the messages I wanted to type out to my loved one. Um, I mean, they they stood up for me. Um, they they caught me when I fell down, and uh, and they continued to do that. My mom slept on a chair by my bedside for four months. I mean, four months she slept in a chair. Incredible. Just helped me. I mean, when I had pneumonia, to help me, you know, when I was choking on something, or help me like move a leg or arm, um, or, you know, if I was in an uncomfortable position, or, um, or just like be there, just someone to sure. talk to and just just have with me. I think I think that gave them a lot of peace. And what also gave them a lot of peace was that I was still me. You know, I I had never lost my my personality, who I was. I was fully conscious throughout all of this. And even my whole team came over to the hospital the day after my surgery, and I was told that the mood in the lobby where they were sitting was horrible. I can imagine Mm. nobody talking. You know, people are wiping tears. Horrible and they would let in about two or three players to come into my room at a time and my mom would tell them the same thing because I told her to say it again there's there's no crying in this room um there's no sadness in this room I just want to I just want to see my friend and she would tell them when you go in there you're going to see that this is still Robert and he's, he's still going to be gregarious and have a smile on my on his face he's just going to be laying down not moving much and uh and that's exactly you know how it happened my friends would come in and and we'd be joking around and, you know, I'd tell them what happened, um, but, you know, that, that I'm not quitting on this thing. And, you know, we would just like have a good time. And everybody left that room with smiles on their faces because I mean, we had such a, such like a mutually beneficial interaction and in, in all of those things. Um, but, I mean, it certainly it took a lot of strength out of Ben, out of, out of me, but, but we all love each other. And, um, and that, that's, and that a, that's like- a good
0: team. That's a strong team. You know, that it's yeah. it's a family. A proper team's a good family. And you know, mm-hmm. I mean, gosh, your parents must be incredibly proud of you and your brother the way you support each other. But on top of that, you know, your coach from the team. It's just, yeah. it's, it's very sad when it takes a tragedy to make you realise just how think how fortunate you know you are as an individual. Anybody, yeah. you know, until something bad happens, you kind of go, gosh, you know, look around, look at all these people that are here for me, uh, and you know, it sounds like you were keeping their spirits high as well. After the yeah. surgery, Rob, how did you start to kind of um, rehabilitate? What was the next kind of process for you?
1: Yeah, so first was was medical stabilization with the pneumonia and being able to to eat again. So I was very focused on that. I was sleeping about two hours a day. I mean, they were, they were just running medical staff through her constantly, and the breathing treatments were unbelievable. Um, you know, the surgery was life threatening, but this pneumonia was in route to kill me. Um I mean I, I was choking, he was building, and I couldn't cough. So they would um they would have like people put their hands right below my diaphragm, push as hard as they could, you know, from the top. And I'd have uh I mean we we were stuck in shoving tubes down my throat. Um but again it's like control your mindset. Um focus on the next most important thing. This is what I needed to do to get better. So that's what I did. And during all those times, I mean I had a lot of sleepless hours as you can imagine. And uh, one of the things I started doing was, like, envisioning myself walking around. I did, and I did it all the time. Um, like, I would be watching, like, a movie. And I watched Forrest Gump, like, 50 times all the Oh, about. lovely. It just, Love it. Yeah. It was one of the few things I saw. And, you know, there's that scene where he, like, breaks out of his leg braces yeah, and he's yeah. running. Like, I mean, I would be just, like, like, looking at that. And I'm, like, doing everything I can to move my legs. Or in the middle of the night when I was, like, sleepless, I'd have a nurse help me like bring my knee to my chest and straighten my leg back out again. i do that over and over again. And I would try and send that signal from my brain to those muscles to make those motions. Now, I wasn't contributing anything. Nothing was, was actually contracting from my muscles, but I was like challenging the nervous system, trying to just get around this break in my spinal cord because my mind was still completely fine, my brain, and my muscles were still completely fine. I just had to find a way to get around um, so the communication
0: error. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah the communication error. And the spinal cord was not, was not completely severed. It was an incomplete injury. So okay. a few hours later, I was able to feel like deep pressure sensation everywhere. So you could put a knife in my leg and it wouldn't hurt, but I would feel that something's there. <laughs> and, sure. You know, things become very relative with an injury like this. And that was a very good thing. Um, you know, opposed, opposed to having no sensation at all. Um, so I was very grateful for that. And I used that, um, to spur hope. And when I would start from the top of my body, I would envision myself, um, you know, lifting up my arms. which at that time I could probably lift my arms, you know, maybe three, four inches off the bed. Uh, but I would do that for 20 reps. And then I would try, um uh, like straightening up my tricep, you know, just like, like arm overhead yep, or yep. for me when I was laying on my back, you know, standing my arm out in front of me and I would do that for 20 reps. Nothing was happening, but I was trying. Squeezing my hand, opening my hand, contracting my core muscles, working through every muscle through my legs, all the way down to my toes. Now, I wouldn't even move a single thing, hardly. And I'm, I'm like laying here, like exhausted mentally. Sure. And you know, like physically, just feeling tired after something like that. But I would do it constantly. And then eventually, I was transported out to Colorado, a place called Craig Hospital in Denver, Colorado, okay. one of the best spinal cord rehabilitation facilities in the world certainly the united states and um i show up there their attitude is totally different and they say robert yes what happened to you it's terrible this is this is a catastrophic injury but we don't know where you're going to progress from here I, you might walk out these doors one day and wow. you very well might not but the one thing we do know is we're just going to give you everything you have and we're going to allow you to give everything that you have as well so these people like that was like such a good approach because nobody knows what's going to happen with an injury like this, but you know, to know that they were there with me and they're like, we are going to give you everything that we can. Um, it completely, it, it changed my mindset. It gave me so much more hope. Um, so from there, you know, I mean, I was doing things like trying to like pick up a marble and move it into a jar. Sure. And, you know, by that time, like about six weeks in, I looked down at my hand and just like a, a finger would just twitch or a toe would twitch and, and that gave me so much hope. I mean, I was just like, I was crying, crying. I can imagine, you know, yeah. For over a month, uh, this is all I thought about was um, if I would be able to just just twitch something. And um, it was a really good sign that I got that around six to eight weeks into my injury. And, and you know, my therapist, their eyes would glow up. Like they were all into it. Um, and we would take that from doing things like just picking up marbles and moving them into a jar to, you know, uh, to working on, and all the all the activities of life, dressing, bathing, uh, getting in and out of bed, uh, all of these things I had I had to work on and and learn to do in new and adaptive ways. Not really relearning, but but learning in a new way.
0: Yeah, all the things we've and learned it, as a, as a baby, as a child, that we don't remember learning. You've had to do it twice.
1: Yeah, and this time it was a lot more difficult. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, you know, a yeah, lot more body to carry.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot more body to carry, and a lot less body to to be able to move. Um, so you know, it, it was it was a challenge, and it still is a challenge for me to go through a lot of these things. But um, you know, these therapists they they gave me everything. I spent about eleven months at that at that second hospital, and uh, and I went from no motions where I was twitching fingers and toes to. We built on that. And on the last day, I walked out of the hospital doors in my walker. I mean, I did the impossible, right? What that day one doctor told me I would never do again. Um, And and what was uh, the time
0: period? What was the time period again between the accident and the day you walked out of that hospital?
1: The day I walked out of the hospital, gosh, I think it was April 13th of 2018. Wow. Uh, So just a year.
0: Just about a year. Yeah.
1: Yeah, just under a year. And, you know, I, I still needed a lot of support back then to be able to do something like that. Sure. Um, but to be able to take those steps within it within a year of my injury, um, in- incredibly grateful to be able to do that. It's an incredible blessing. Um, also required a lot of hard work and a lot of support. But mm-hmm. um I got there and you know, that allowed me to return back to school and continuing up my rehab and, and graduate from school. Um, you know, to where here I am today, I can stand up out of this wheelchair into my walker and walk up to 300 yards incredible Um, and i spend i spend each day it's not it's not how i get around anymore when i get around i'm in my wheelchair because it's faster it's safer but every day for therapy i'm walking around my house i'm you know practicing standing up and it's a roller coaster of progress there's good days and there's bad days But when you trend line it out it's upward trending um, so I mean, it's, it's
0: it's a miracle. It really is. And uh, do you see it that way, Rob? Do you see it as a miracle, or do you see it as have you got kind of more of a scientific brain that it's you know it was hard work, determination, it was science, it was medical, or do you see yourself as a bit of a miracle, or perhaps a hybrid of both?
1: I think it's both. That, that's what I think. I think um, you, you know you, you can't like cut off a limb and regrow it, right? And you can't completely sever a, a spinal cord and uh, and regain the type of motion that I that I've had I had that opportunity within me now I'll tell you the odds that I would walk again um, on day one were probably about one or two percent or less um, I mean they were horrible odds so to be in that little one to two percent window I had to I had to give my effort you know in the in the one to two percent I had to have perfect effort you know at least in my mind and, and how I approach this. Um, so you know, that's that's where the miracle comes in is you know that I did experience this um this regeneration and my nerves being able to reconnect. Um but I but I had to work along with that process sure. as well. Um and you know, that was gosh I think I'm on day sixteen hundred and sixty-nine now of you know, since May sixth of twenty seventeen and you know, every single one of these days I've, I've been very intentional um about putting in rehabilitation taking, you know, good quality rest days as well. And, you know, just helping my, my mental diet and, and things like that. Um, but I post on Instagram, like daily stories of my rehab. I love doing that. Um, and I think it helps like get that message across that like, this isn't just a miracle. Um, and it's not just about the good days. It's about waking up every day and answering the bell. Sure. Um, just just do, doing something. And, um, Do you and ever have so, days where you just right wake right. up and you go,
0: oh, gosh, I just need a rest. I'm tired. Oh. Are there ever days that you are just exhausted?
1: <laughs> I have that today, Katie. I got my COVID booster shot yesterday. and I was like, I was sweating last night. And <laughs> I've, got, I've got my aches and pains and all that stuff. So I definitely, I, I woke up today and I had, to, I had to pry my eyes open and, um, and get after it. But, you know, this, this injury has given me um it's it's taken a lot but it's given me so much more and one of those gifts it gave me was the gift of perspective um because before my injury I had a very good life I mean when I would write like a college application essay and they would say like what's your greatest challenge I would be like I don't even feel like I can answer this challenge I mean you know that's like that's like me trying to win a national championship right right something like that like I mean, that 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 just fails in comparison to um to somebody who's you know really going through a difficult personal struggle um I had never suffered really and uh and I was grateful for that i- i really was that that's a blessing to to have that kind of privilege and um I recognized it I was grateful for it and I try to use those gifts that I have to make a positive impact on someone else's life and um, but when my injury happened i mean i I was really suffering. And the next day was never guaranteed. Um, and uh, But even in those moments, there were still so many people who were dealing with a worse situation than me. Yeah. And, um, and one thing I would do regularly when I was having a down moment, and I still do this today, um, is to look at those stories of people who are enduring immense personal struggle. But I look at them, explain how they make their lives happen. And a lot of times they have a smile on their face. And I'm just like, man, I look at my challenges and I say, compared to what? I'll be like, I'm so tired, but compared to what? Or this is a lot that I'm going through right now, but compared to what? Now, that statement is something I recommend people use a lot. But, and it's not meant to dismiss our challenges because I think that's very no, no. unhealthy when we dismiss our challenges. But it just puts it into perspective and helps us realize that what we go through is overcomable. And there's so much that we can achieve. So when I'm having a tough moment like that, you know, I wake up, body aches, you know, maybe I'm feeling a little feverish or something like that, Um, but I can't get out of bed. I try to view, like, view the gift in that. The fact that, number one, I woke up today, and that's an incredible gift to have another day of life. There's so many people who would love to be able to wake up and, or go to sleep and know that they're going going to wake up. And have that uh, hope,
0: yeah, and determination. Yeah.
1: Yeah, have something to look forward to and be excited about, and, um, and a life that, that they you know they they love to live or, or that they can you know they can work at and make a positive impact on someone else's life. Like you know, I I look back on those days when I was in that hospital bed, and I would have given anything to be able to get myself up out of bed. I used to spend hours trying to get myself up out of bed. Um, so just a simple moment like that, it's just like like maintaining that perspective. And um, and having, having a lot of empathy for what other people go through, um, that really helps me because I do have a lot of hard moments. And almost every time I have one of these workouts, I mean, I'm moaning groaning before it. I'm like, gosh, okay, here we go. <laughs> this, this is going to be hard. I mean, this, sure, this is sure. really going to challenge me. Um, but I do it anyway yeah. because I know that there's a lot of people out there right now, millions of people in this world, who would give almost anything to have what I have. Um, and I also have this duty to other people to to inspire now, which is you know it's the purpose of my life.
0: It's incredible. It's, you do you do so much. You I you know I've been researching you a little bit, well stalking a little bit uh, online <laughs> over the last uh, couple of weeks since you very kindly agreed to to join me on this. And you know the the public speaking that you do it's incredibly inspirational but you know how important is that to you as part of not just part of your recovery but it sounds like you know and and I don't wish to sound like an old woman but for such a young man to have such a mature head um, and the positivity as I've said several times is just it's breathtaking it really is breathtaking how important is the kind of sharing of your story how is how is that kind of impacting your therapy I guess
1: yeah, it's it's my purpose in life. I mean it's what I believe I was put on this earth to do. And it's it's the answer to all of those why questions that I have in my head. Why did this happen to me? Why do I need to keep moving forward? It's to inspire other people. You know, when I when this injury happened to me, I lost my purpose. I could no longer play rugby and interact with friends like that and those goals and those aspirations they were gone forever um they were they were never coming back and you know that left that left a void within me and um it made me feel like I lost a large part of who I was and and I needed purpose in my life and when um I was like three days into my injury my best friend's mom started a GoFundMe campaign for my rehabilitation I'm sure you can imagine breaking your neck is is not a financially uh, sound decision. Uh, no, and make, especially uh, not in America. <laughs> yeah, the medical bills here, I mean, insurance companies probably hate me because <laughs> I'm definitely getting my money's worth. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so anyways, uh, this GoFundMe campaign was started initially just to help us with the financial expenses, especially moving out to Colorado, and relocating all these things. Um, and, um, you know, the financial support received was unbelievable. And I would not be in the situation that I'm in today if I didn't have that financial support, but reading those messages of people who, you know, they're like, they had loved ones die, or, um, you know, they were dealing with, let's say alcohol addiction or a weight problem, just something really difficult that they were struggling with, but they would see me take on this challenge every single day with such faith and such, you know, consistent determination and they would just talk about how it's given them hope. And, you know, when I, the first thing I do every morning is I look at um, my messages on, on Instagram from people who are like reply to these stories that I do or post and stuff. Um, like and they, you know, they really, some of them really open up their heart to talk about these challenges that they've gone through um, and how it helps them push forward every day or, you know, even helps someone who has everything gain that perspective um, that I was talking about and just have more appreciation for what they have and utilize it to make a positive impact on someone else's life. I read stuff like that and my purpose is entirely fulfilled and it's the reason why I keep pushing forward. I mean, I still want to walk again for myself. Like I still have that selfish desire to just have, have my mobility back, but it is not what has driven me for 1,669 days. What's driven me for the last four and a half years is, are those messages that I received. And it's this purpose, this mission that I'm on to take this injury that happened to me and use it as a gift. And that's a gift that I can, that I can share with other people. If I didn't have the ability to inspire other people, this would all just be negative. Sure. Everything that I've dealt with would just be more difficult and I would have to struggle more. Mm-mm. But the, I would not have had this ability to inspire people on this specific purpose if this injury didn't happen to me. Um, Well, that's it. You've
0: you've turned a disability into an ability. It's it's such an amazing way to to deal with it and you were just talking about your mobility there and you know your dream is still to you know be more mobile than than you currently are may I ask you a little bit more about um physically your body now so you can walk for short periods of time I can see because we're on video I know this is a podcast but you and I are on video um I can see you're quite dexterous with your hands and your arms (laughs) so what's feeling like can you feel things like on your legs you were mentioning earlier on like if somebody had stabbed you in the leg after the accident you would have felt like a pressure but no pain what's the feeling like in your body now
1: yeah, so the feeling has, has regenerated quite a lot um, was, and was always something that was better than my mobility. Um, the way that my spinal cord was injured, the mobility portion of the spinal cord was impacted more. Um, so now my feeling is quite great and I can feel everywhere over my body. And now if somebody put a knife in my leg, it would hurt very bad. Okay. Well, that's a (laughs) good thing. That's a good thing. thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anybody would ever normally say that's a good thing, but that really is a good thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. We won't, we won't test it out, but, um, but no, I mean, hot's not quite as hot. Like when hot water goes on, on, say, my legs are really anywhere below, like halfway down my chest. Okay. Um, It's not going to be as hot and pain's not going to be as painful and like something that's, really cold isn't going to feel as cold to me um but i know like when something's wrong and that's that's really um how pain is supposed to help us is is to let us know when something's wrong something needs to be changed something needs to be looked at and fortunately i have that sensation now And in terms of my mobility i've had (laughs) i'm like living in a different body practically um than what i had four years ago um i mean i can you know bring my thumb to my pinky and um i mean my hands are almost fully recovered um i you know i still have some dexterity issues but but it has not stopped me from getting through my day I mean, I mean my trunk is fully recovered i mean i i couldn't even go from having my elbows on my knees to sitting in an upright position um for about three months it took me to be able to just make like a slight transition so i have that back I, I can contract every single muscle in my body and uh, you know some of them are much weaker and some of them are, are strong. Um, and you know, I'm working to bring them all to the strong category. Um, but yeah, it, it allows me to be able to, to walk kind of short distances, 300 yards. But when you think about it in the walking that you do day to day, unless you're on a large campus or, or something like that, you know, when you're going from like the bedroom to the couch, to the bathroom, to your car, you know, car to a restaurant, whatever it is, um, it's a lot of times it's not longer than 300 yards. So, uh, so i'm, I'm getting and you really can do that experience. yeah yeah and i and that's you know that's in my wheelhouse so um i mean i really truly 100 percent believe that one day i will never need to use this wheelchair ever again um and it's not going to happen today or tomorrow or the next day it's it's going to be a long time and it's going to require a lot of work but i truly believe it is it is going to happen and I'm on that on that trajectory.
0: Well, I have to say I'm with you and I really hope that that dream does come true for you and I think you know if there's anybody that can make that happen it's it's certainly you so if I uh when that happens I will take a flight out to California and I will come and see you <laughs> and we'll go for a beer or two together um but I suppose I've got one more question for you Rob and that is how do you feel about rugby now are you still a big fan do you still support Cal? Yes,
1: yeah, absolutely I love the sport of rugby I- If I woke up tomorrow um with an able body, I mean I would be looking for somebody to tackle. (laughs) I just like I love that game and I mean some of my greatest experiences were on the rugby field. There were like those moments in the locker room with the rugby teammates and um I mean I felt so alive playing that sport and um you know, what happened to me, it was illegal and um you know, it shouldn't have happened and I and I also um try to try to get that message out there. Um, that these rules are here for a reason, Um, you know, and especially when you're throwing out yellow cards and red cards, stuff like that, these these are very um, important rules to follow. We can be very physical in the sport of rugby within the laws of the game and be safe. Um, You know, rugby has such a good culture for that in terms of um, looking out for the player on the other side. Um, You know, what happened to me was, was negligence of that um i do not that is not the sport of rugby um that's not what i've ever experienced and you know what happened to me it wasn't an accident per se um you know because because what happened to me was was a bind around my neck i do not think that this player tried to break my neck and by the way i forgive him wholeheartedly um which was an incredible journey for me to take
0: i can imagine
1: yeah to access forgiveness you can imagine there was a lot of anger within.
0: Him. Can I just, um, sorry to interrupt you? Did he apologize? Did you have a conversation he, with him?
1: Never. Still hasn't. No.
0: Still to this day, nothing.
1: He has never said he's sorry. I've never, I've never spoken to him. Um, and at first, that was it was heart wrenching to me because you know this, this was this was televised. There were uh, photographers on multiple angles, and a couple of days in this evidence started to produce itself that what happened to me was entirely illegal. And, uh, you know, at first I just kind of thought it was a fluke accident. You know, it happened so fast. I didn't know exactly what was going on. Um, you know, but then it, then it really started to show that, um, that this wasn't just a fluke. This was breaking a very important law of the game and it led to my paralysis. And at first, I mean, I wanted to be angry. I wanted to hate this person. And, um, I think it might have been part of my faith and also part of like that control your mindset kind of uh, principle. But people would ask me, like, Robert, what do you think about this guy? And just in my own internal dialogue even, I would just say, like, I forgive him. I wish him well in his life. And deep down, honestly, I didn't feel it. I mean, I still had a lot of anger for him. I didn't want to forgive him. But I knew that it was what was best for me. To Healthier for you. On
0: Absolutely. Him.
1: Yeah, and you know that's that's a real important lesson in forgiveness because a lot of us have people that we that we need to forgive or even just a situation when you're just mad at mad at the world. Um, when we can like make that decision of forgiveness and consistently do it over and over and over again, no matter how we feel, then we're freed of all that anger. We're freed of of any any animosity that we hold. And I think forgiveness is always the answer. And, You know, as I continued to say that over time, I forgive this person, I wish him well. Eventually, that hatred went completely away. Um, to where, you know, here I am today, totally freed of all of that. And, uh, you know, whether, whether he does say he's sorry to me or not, anytime down the road, my answer is the same. I, I forgive you and I wish you well. Um, but, uh, you know, that was, that was quite a journey for me to take. And, uh, you know, just going back to the sport of rugby, um, you know, not, not in line with what the sport actually is. The most supportive community I think I've seen throughout throughout my injury is the rugby community, and I got you know jerseys of like the New Zealand All Blacks like hanging up and in my room, and you know all the way from like that to like just little tiny rugby clubs in America or you know overseas sure, sure. as well. Um, you know this this community has just been so gracious to me, and um, and it, it means a lot for me to be able to give back to that community and promote the sport because it taught me invaluable life lessons and gave me lifelong uh, relationships that I would never trade away
0: i bet well if you ever come to the uk uh come down to the southwest and i'll take you to see my team the extra chiefs have to give them a plug uh or, yeah. or we can go out to twickenham in london but uh, yeah we're big rugby fans down here so uh check out the extra awesome. chiefs because they're they're brilliant uh and sorry for, <laughs> sorry to the bristol bears that'll probably be listening to this uh but <laughs> seriously rob thank you so much for your time it's been an absolute honor speaking to you and i just i'm almost speechless you're a huge inspiration and you're a bloody nice chap as well so thank you very much for your time and let's keep in touch
1: absolutely and thank you so much so this absolutely made my day all those covid vaccine symptoms are just like completely banished i got a permanent smile on my face so thank you so much